When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the next, uh, latest episode of Turn the Jets Live. I'm your host, Steven Zance, joined by my co-host, uh, Stephen Russo, and we're joined by another turn on the Jets, uh, longtime writer, Michael Megan, who's one of the draft gurus, part of draft season. What's up, guys? How you guys doing tonight? I'm doing so good, good, Steve. Appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, I know it was a little last minute. But I'm excited to join with you guys. Get my, it's like basically the TOJ car wash for me this week, so I'm excited. <laughs> Meeg's week, as I like to say. What about you, Steve? How are you go. doing? I'm doing well, man. Uh, excited to have Meigs on. Thanks for being flexible with us, Meigs. Uh, you know, you jumped on a week early, but uh, we'd love to get a fellow member at TOJ on here to talk some uh, training camp, you know, Packers practices, all the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I know there's a lot to, t- to unpack from today's practice because, you know, playing a different opponent, a very good opponent, you know, a team that we aspire to be with a quarterback that we aspire to have our quarterback be like. Um, but the first thing I want to touch on, because it seems like everyone's panicking and I've been saying to like, slow the brakes, it's not a big deal, is Makai Becton was getting absolutely cooked today during practice. I understand it's a little concerning because, you know, people are worried maybe his weight's an issue. I know he had the foot injury, but Beat's been saying that he's totally fine. That's not an issue. But, you know, I'm curious what you guys both think. Like, do you guys think this is an issue or you think, you know, it really doesn't matter until the games actually matter in week one? I'll start with you, Beeks. Um, I really don't see it as an issue, honestly. Like, Jordan Jenkins was cooking him all of last training camp, and Jordan Jenkins isn't good at football. Carl Lawson's good at football. Preston Smith's good at football. So I see this as progress. But honestly, like, for those who watch Mekhi Becton, the best part of his game where, you, where he gets the Trent Williams comps is he's just a wrecking ball in the run game. And his pass pro is good because he has the unreal size, he has the unreal length, and that gives him a head start on a lot of edge rushers. But sometimes he gets beat, and like that's how the NFL is. When you get put on an island like that, sometimes you get beat. When you have a turnstile like Dan Feeney next to you, you're going to get beat. And so like for Mekhi Becton, I'm, I, if he's healthy, I'm not worried about him. Like that's really just how I look at it because I saw him moving guys around on the during preseason and I would much rather him play his best when, you know, when the lights are on, when the games actually matter than in practice. Steven, what do you think? Same thing? Yeah, I agree. Um, first of all, I mean, let me say that this isn't what you exactly want to hear, you know, coming out of camp. What do I like hearing that he's getting beat, you know, day in and day out by Carl Lawson and they go to Green Bay and he's getting beat by Zadaria Smith or Preston Smith. But no, I don't want to hear that stuff. But at the end of the day, it is practice. And we saw this, uh, you know, like Meigs mentioned, we saw it last training camp too. But 
during the season, you know, the guy was lights out and we saw the laundry list, the guys that he went up against and did well against and fared very well um, in playing those guys. So am I worried? No. Would I like the news to be a little bit different and hear that he's actually dominating these guys that he's facing? Absolutely. Um, but at this point, no. And I think we even saw too. I mean, you know, the Giants defensive line is not what it once was. And it's not, you know, the likes of Carl Lawson or Preston Smith either. But at the end of the day, too, he still, you know, he showed up. Uh, on Saturday night when they played the Giants. So this isn't something that I'm overly worked up about. I'd like to hear that, that the news is a little better, but overall, come September, I think he'll be fine. And uh, to Meek's point, he's an absolute wrecking ball in the run game, and that's what we really want him to do. But it's not the you know the best news that I want for our supposed franchise left tackle. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, it's not great, but like we have tape of him performing really well against good players in the NFL, specifically Aaron Donald, who's arguably – the best player in the NFL was not a quarterback. You can make that argument. So I'm not too worried about it, but yeah, it's not a great sign. Number one thing that people should take away from camp and hope for is no injuries, no major injuries and knock on wood. It's been okay. So far, AVT was back on the field today. I know he only did individual drills. He didn't participate in the actual scrimmage itself, but we just want guys to stay healthy. Everything else really doesn't matter. If a guy's not looking good, like think about Denzel Mims a couple of weeks ago, everyone's like, it's going to get cut. We're going to trade him plays well in the preseason, all of that's been alleviated, and he's, he's actually stacked some good practices since then. So everyone just needs to calm down. Just, you know, think about it rationally. I know it's hard as a Jets fan because we're so burned by so much bad things, but at the end of the day, I just – I'm not going to get crazy over this. We know Becton could be a force when he's out there and he's healthy. So everyone needs to calm down, and I think everything will be fine. If he's struggling this season, then we can have this conversation, but I don't expect him to as long as he's healthy. Yeah, I think it's important to note too, like as good as we feel about the tackle position now with Fant kind of being that swing tackle slash backup option for both sides, we probably feel now like on the flip side and, and just as bad about the guard position and the depth there. Because I think we're, we're looking for Greg Van Roten to kind of step into a, a hopefully a, a better role this year and, and prove that, he, you know, he wasn't a complete uh, uh, turnstile at guard. But now with AVT kind of sideline, you're seeing Dan Feeney there. I mean, Becton does have to account for that. So the as good as we feel about the tackle position and having some kind of depth there, you kind of feel just as bad now as the, as the depth at guard is kind of showing its ugly face right now with Dan Feeney in there for AVT. So that's another thing we can't discount either, so. You know, I think the point Stephen made just about depth in general is that's just an issue on the roster. It's just like when you're when you when you went two and fourteen and you get some good players in, but building depth is not something that's done in an offseason. Like the D line probably had was you're probably working with the most, and when you add Carl Lawson and you add Sheldon Rankins, you can add depth to that. But when you're basically scratching the surface at guard at one of the tackle spots, that's not something that's really going to be there. And for the Jets to get that seven eight wins that we hope they can get, they're going to need a lot of injury luck because if we have to watch five-plus games of Dan Feeney, it's not going to be pretty. And yeah. that could lead it to – It already wasn't. That, that could lead to <laughs> three or four games of Josh Johnson or James Morgan, whoever the backup quarterback is. So I think Jets fans got to realize that they're going to need a lot of luck this year that they haven't really had in the previous years. Yeah, 2015. That was like the one time that everything broke right injury-wise. And they won 10 games, but they still couldn't mm -hmm. make the playoffs because it's the Jets. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> I agree, though. The only positions that were really deep right now based because we're a 2-14 football team is receiver because we invest a lot of resources into it in the draft, free agency, and then defensive line. Everything else, a lot of question marks. There may be top-end talent, but behind mm -hmm. them, it's a problem. And a team like the Vikings could tell you, especially if you're a Vikings fan, is that they have a lot of good top-tier talent, but they don't have depth, and that's why they never do anything. It's actually the perfect example of what the Jets don't want to end up. 
they have good players, but when, if someone gets hurt, it really can derail your season. So we really just need to get more depth and hope that, you know, some of these guys who are younger develop a little bit and they could be relied upon if they have to play because there is an injury, but it's a young team, you know, the expectations shouldn't be super high. And they, today, everyone was saying they looked like a two and 14 going against, you know, the, the runner up at the NFC. It's exactly. Like the, the expectation shouldn't be that high and you shouldn't be surprised by any of this. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, even the, you know, the Alex uh, Lewis news, you know, him uh, ultimately retiring. I think he, he announced his retirement today, but, you know, he left the team last week. But that's something that, you know, that holds a little bit of weight with the Jets, too. I mean, I'm not saying he was the greatest player, you know, at all. But at the end of the day, he was a nice depth piece and he did finish the 2019 season semi strong. And I think Joe Douglas was counting on him as a starter come, you know, come 2020. That says a lot because now you're plugging in Dan Feeney, who's clearly just not cut out for it. I mean, it's, it's, it's what we've heard. It's what we've seen. He's just not going to be a starter. And if he is, you're going to have to worry about it. So, you know, all this stuff is kind of just, uh, it's snowballing a little bit here. They just need AVT back. But to your, both your guys' points, if uh, any of those spots that we don't have depth, uh, don't have, you know, decent depth, if anyone goes down, it's going to, it's going to look pretty rough for the, uh, for the time being. Definitely. So I know we started something negative, so we could definitely turn to some of the positives from today because there were two. Um, I know Carl Lawson's been the topic of conversation, but we'll go to him afterwards, but you got to really encourage about what you saw and read about from Bryce Hall. He was going up against the best in the business and he kept him in relatively in check in a scrimmage. I know it's not the real game. I'm sure Devante wasn't using his full, you know, arsenal of skill and route running because this scrimmage is not the real game, but based on what you read and saw, I mean, obviously it wasn't there. It seems like Bryce Hall really held his own against one of the best players in the NFL. So you got to be encouraged by that. I mean, should we buy into this hype that he actually could be a legit number one corner or is he maybe a number two corner who's playing the role of number one corner because we don't have any of that right now. So what do you guys think? I'm curious, Meeks, what do you think? Um, like Bryce Hall, CB1, I like, I just think that's too rich. I mean, you could probably make the very strong argument that there's like seven CB1s in the NFL just in general. And really like, but this corner group, I, I think the Jets took the approach of they. Like they invested a lot in day three of the draft and UFAs. And you can, if you look at all their spider charts, like got some real premium athletes. If, if Bryce Hall can be the cornerback too, which is just like a solid player, he stays healthy. He doesn't he, some, like, he's the guy who's susceptible to getting beat over the top. But if you play a lot of zone and you have the safeties to back him up, he can be a solid player that a team's not going to go pick on. And then one of these guys, whether it's Gidry from last year, whether it's Michael Carter, the second, or even if it's Eccles can be like your slot corner. Like, I think that's a win just because, like, the Jets made a made, made a business decision this offseason. They went for Carl Lawson uh, to improve, improve their pass rush because they could have signed William Jackson for the same money. Like, he signed a three-year, $45 million deal as well. Mm-hmm. And Robert Sal's defense cares more about pass rush. I, someone who subscribes to pass rush over pass coverage, so I was very excited for that to happen. But that's just something that's going to have to be, a, a, like, a long-term plan. And with rookie corners, it's kind of hard to get instant production we saw it last year i think every rookie corner besides like legerious need was bad which was very funny actually because he's like a fifth round rookie from like some random college where he played safety but um like that's why like for bryce hall like he's a really like he was a guy who was not a fifth round pick he fractured his ankle his last year of college and with the way medicals were in the COVID thing just not having access he fell and the jets took advantage I'm hoping they got another guy like that in Hamza Nazaruddin, who we'll probably talk about later tonight. But I like Bryce Hall, and I just hope that he can just be a solid player and just keep the expectations in check. What do you think, Steven? 
Yeah, I think, you know, Meg's kind of looking more at the long-term approach, I think, you know, and I agree with that in, in the interim and in the, in the short term, I think you can't really take the approach that we just took on Mekhi Becton and say, well, it's only practice and then kind of flip it and say, well, since this is positive, then we're going to take this as Bible and, you know, uh, Bryce Hall is going to be yeah. in the top five corner of this league. That's, we can't do that, but is it encouraging? Absolutely. Cause you know, for the right now, he is going to be cornerback one because, and even though we've only seen a, a small snippet of what Bryce Hall can do with a, a little window at the end of last year, we've seen a lot more of Bless Austin. I think we can all agree that we can't rely on him uh, right Wait, now. Oh, best corner in the league, Bless yeah. Austin? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, best um, Austin. No, he changed his name. <laughs> but, you know, could Bless be improved? Yeah, I think so. And I think in a new scheme and solid coaching him up, I think he could definitely be improved. But relying on that, you know, we, we know we can't do that. So hearing the encouraging signs about Bryce Hall, and I think, you know, and, and, and Steven, you just mentioned it, you know, we have depth at that receiver position, and that's who Bryce Hall's been going up against all camp, and we heard from DJ, too, that really the only guy that Bryce has really struggled with is Elijah Moore. I know, Meigs, we're going to touch on Elijah Moore later on, so I'll, I'll save that for you, but, um, you know, that it's good that he's going up against Corey Davis, and he's showing, and he's having some success. It's good that he's going up against Mims and doing the same thing, and now you translate that to going up against the arguably the best receiver in the league. I think it's encouraging. Am I going to say that he'll be our, our starting cornerback for the next you know our, our number one quarterback for the next five years no but is it an encouraging sign that he can hold up against one of the best in the league for right now knowing the cornerback position on this team absolutely so i'll take it as as just that it's uh, it's a good practice against uh you know a top receiver um but you know we'll, we'll take it as an encouraging sign right now as i take the approach with this team usually cautiously cautiously optimistic there you go i feel good about it but at the same time i'm not gonna like I can't really contradict myself and saying this stuff about back. It's the same thing. It's like, yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, obviously he didn't really get tested in the preseason game. So it's like, I can't even say that he did anything because it was Mike Glennon and Thorson, whatever his name is, who is already now on IR. Like they didn't get challenged in the secondary Their Their defensive line played well, but there were some backup offensive linemen. I know Matt Pert obviously was start. He's a starter for them. And, you know, Carl Lawson was going right around him. So, you know, we can transition to Carl because it seems like everything he's been doing against the starting offense in our practices, he was able to do against the Packers offensive line. And they definitely have one of the best offensive lines in football. I mean, I'm encouraged about that. It seems like he's the kind of guy that was really scratching the surface of like of what he can actually do. And he's been saying how many sacks he's left on the table. I'm really getting excited about him. He's like the one sure thing besides if I, Elijah Moore comes back and he's healthy about this team that I feel great about just because it just seems like he's hitting that peak of his career because, you know, he's like 25 years old, 26 years old. You know, he's shown flashes. He was second in the league quarterback hurries. We mentioned this on the show many times. And I think now it's going to translate to sacks. You guys are going to laugh at this comparison, but you got to think about this. Like Leonard Williams, similar situation. I know we were underwhelmed by him. I know Meeks is shaking his head. But he was always in the backfield but not getting the sacks. And it seems like Lawson's had the same issues in Cincinnati. And hopefully this scheme can unlock him like the new giant scheme that they deployed last year has unlocked Leonard. So let's just hope for the best here. Steven, what do you think about Carl? Like, do you, are you buying this? Do you think that this actually might translate because it's been a consistent trend the entire training camp? I am I'm totally buying into Carl Lawson. Um, and I'm buying in for a multitude of reasons. I think the biggest being, uh, Stephen, you hit the nail on the head earlier. I think he's hitting his prime right now. Um, and I think when you couple that with the strength of the Jets, which is the defensive line, I think that's only going to help him. I really do. And I want to kind of take it broader because I really think this defensive line is going to be good. 
if I had to put my money on anything for this season, it's that this defensive line is a top 10 unit because I really feel like Lawson could be a guy that gets 10, 11 sacks or at least 10 plus. Um, who knows if he could go higher than that. But And then I really feel like there's going to be like four or five guys that are in that like six to nine range that could really get like clean up sacks or just benefit from not having double teams. You talk about Sheldon Rankins, you talk about Quinn Williams, and he hasn't even been in the mix yet. And then you're seeing flashes from Bryce Huff, who, again, he beat a starter for that sack in the first series against the Giants. So those are all encouraging signs. So I'm, I'm fully buying in on Carl Lawson and what he can bring to the table individually, but I'm also buying in on what this defensive line can also benefit from, for, from Carl Lawson being there, being there and the strength that they've, uh, they've added to this unit in the offseason. Go ahead, Meeks. Yeah, yeah, besides no, uh, besides being disgusted by Leonard Williams, I saw that shaking the head. Yeah, no, I have I have two better examples of a pass rusher going to their second team and really hitting their prime than Leonard Williams and the Jets PTSD. And the two got one guy the Jets saw today, and that's Zadarius Smith, who mm-hmm. was a player who that's was ascending one. with the Ravens, and I think he had eight sacks his last year in Baltimore. He got the big contract, and I think a couple eyebrows like people were like. So Darius Smith got that much money, and then he led the league in pressures in 2019. I want to say he had 15 sacks. He was an all-pro, and he was re- he was a guy who can rush in a multitude of ways. He can go inside and outside. He's a really strong guy because he's a bigger edge rusher. Another guy who's more of a speed rusher that I think that was closer to Carl Lawson is Shaq Barrett. And Shaq Barrett led the league going. in sacks when uh, his first year in Tampa Bay, and then he led the league in pressures when the stack numbers went down, so he kept those numbers up. And I just think edge rusher is a position that – so many of these guys are just super athletes who come into the NFL and they have one pass rush move or they have no pass rush moves. And sometimes it takes two, three years just to get that full arsenal. Like not everyone comes in like Joey and Nick Bosa who just have like five in their back pocket already, or they're just Miles Garrett, who's just a free mm-hmm. major. So sometimes it takes a lot for some guys. And I think the Jets made a really good investment in Carl Lawson. I'm really excited to watch him play. And he like, I like Geno Atkins. Uh, he during Carl's time, you didn't get to see the peak version of him. And mm-hmm. Quinn Williams is the best player he's going to have played with in his career. And now if Sheldon Rankins, who I thought looked really healthy on Saturday, if he's even like 85% of how he was in 2018, this is going to be a scary, scary unit. Yeah. yeah. Sheldon Rankins first, you know, he's a first round pick and Quinn, Quinn Williams coming into his prime, which, you know, your third year, you should make that jump. And Carl Lawson coming into his prime as well. I mean, this could be, I'm, I'm telling you, this could be a top, I, I would bet anything it'd be a top 10 unit and maybe even top five. Guys, Sharks got to eat, as Q said, and isn't his <laughs> yeah. return press conference. I'm super excited for this defensive line. It's the one thing that I'm also sure about. Um, so I feel like we got to transition to Michael Megan's boy. He's had a love affair for him as, as early as January, long before it became a New York Jet. We got to touch on Elijah Moore. Um, I know I'm not really too concerned about him still being out, but uh, you know, I'm curious what you guys think, but me, let's, let's talk about the first time you fell in love with Elijah Moore and how it's, what it's evolved since he became a New York jet. Let's kick it off with that. Oh yeah. Elijah Moore is just a great football player on, on the pod. We do uh draft season with me, Dalvin, Joe Bellick and uh, James Coons. I remember like they asked me to be on the pod and they were like, just bring a player, talk about it for like a minute. And um, Lane Kiffin's an interesting guy. And it comes to coaching, oh, his personality is always interesting. And when he came to Ole Miss, I was like, oh, Lane's back in the Power Five. You know, I'll, I'll keep an eye on them because Lane always runs fun offenses. He always does, like, fun stuff. And after watching Adam Gase for two years, literally, there are so many college offenses. I just appreciate it for just, like, wow, that's motion. Wow. And he's like, oh, he rolled out his quarterback. And then he's like, the simple stuff. And I was just like, 
there's this five nine slot receiver, and Lane tries to get him the ball as much as possible. That like by the fourth quarter, he's just exhausted because he keeps getting the ball so much. And that was Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore was one of the funnest players to watch in this draft. He's just he's so shifty. He doesn't drop anything. He's such a great athlete. And when people, I remember like the whole Jameson Crowder discourse, which is just was so tiresome and turn on the jets. Yeah. After that contract restructure, cash that future. We called that one a while ago, but uh, he can win at all three levels of the field. And that's what I loved about him. And that's why he reminded me a lot of Brandon cooks, who is quietly the most productive receiver of probably like last decade. Like I think he has like five, a thousand yard seasons and no one knows. I think he had a thousand yards last year with the Texans, which is wild because no one talks about him anymore, but that's what I really saw in Elijah Moore. And I remembered, like, I thought, like, he was going to – I thought he was going to go in the first round. I was like, oh, Green Bay, they need someone besides Devontae Adams. The Saints, like, they have Michael Thomas. They cut Emmanuel Sanders. Like, oh, maybe they'll get him. And then he's just, like, sitting there at 34, and I'm like, the Jets aren't going to take a receiver. We don't take skill players. Like, what is this? Like, come on. We, we watched the Jets my entire life. Like, they traded Santana Moss and broke seven-year-old Neegs' heart. Like, I didn't – and then they took him, and I was just <laughs> – I was just absolutely, like, just excited. And he's just – Everyone says it. And like, if you guys don't believe me, go watch the AJ Brown video. Who's probably my favorite wide receiver in the NFL. And he's like, yeah, this guy's going to be better than me. Odell Beckham's like, yeah, this guy's going to be an all pros rookie. Like he has the respect of all the guys in the league. And he's the one guy I'm just like, if he fails, if he fails, then I got no hope for anybody. I think that's, you know, Meeks, you've been saying this for a while and I trust it. And, you know, when Steve and I saw him at the first practice for the fans, we saw it too. And I know Steven's video went viral, which was awesome, but yeah, I just think that this guy's special and, you know, just keep him healthy. And I think that the jets know this, which is why they're not trying to rush him back because I think they saw enough of what they needed mm-hmm. to see. And they're like, we could put this guy on the field at any time. And we know he can make plays, whether it's inside, outside, you know, lining him up in the backfield. I think he can do it all. He's just really like a Swiss army knife. He can literally just make plays. It doesn't matter how you use them. And like, People were talking about scheme fit, like especially like Denzel Mims. It just seems like he can fit in any scheme. And Michael Floor is going to figure out the best ways to unlock this guy. And he's going to become Zach's best friend, I think. And I like that they've become pretty close so far. It seems like, you know, as soon as they both got drafted, they became close and they've been always texting and getting to know each other. And the chemistry is there, especially when we watch him practice. He's always looking his way. So I'm super excited about Elijah. Steven, what do you thought? What do you think? I, I think a couple of things. I think uh, Meeks brings up a great point that um, when you have the respect to some of the best receivers in the NFL already before taking a, an NFL snap, I think that says a lot about who you are, not only as a, as a player, but as a person. So that's, that's a lot of clout to carry. When you couple that too with, and we've brought it up on the show a couple of times before, like there's not a single bad thing that's been said about Elijah Moore amongst any of the Jets beat and, and reporters out there. I mean, seriously, there's never been a unanimous love for any pick, let alone a second round pick uh, of the Jets ever. Well, so it's been kind of the vaunted. What's that? The haunted They've been round. cursed. That's all. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but when you couple those two things together, I mean, it, it's uh, you know, to what Meek said earlier is like if if you know if this guy doesn't succeed, then we've lost faith in faith in everybody, and that's really what it seems like. So, I'm super excited to see this guy on the field. Uh, we saw it in practice. Um, I'm, I can't wait to see it come September. Um, the other thing that I will say too is I think we saw uh, throughout the practices that he was a security blanket for Zach Wilson. I think that was uh, that was something that was pretty obvious I do think though kind of transitioning away is that you know with uh more being sidelined right now you're starting to see an emergence of Corey Davis which I think could end up being a good thing as well 
Um, Cause I think Zach Wilson, a young, you know, young quarterback, like he is getting, uh, getting more familiar and more comfortable with a, a big, you know, uh, number one receiver like Corey Davis. I think that's a good thing. So, um, and you're starting to see Corey Davis eat. I know they got him involved early and often uh, in that giants game too, which I think overall it's positive. So to answer the, the, you know, really the original question is if, am I, you know, uh, nervous about Elijah Moore and the injury? No. Am I super excited for seeing this guy in the field? Absolutely. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be fun. I mean, I, he's going to be the, he could be arguably the team's best player at the end of the season. If yeah. he stays healthy, like I don't think that's crazy. And I know Meeks definitely agrees with that. Right. Yeah, no, like, I, like, I think like, like my expectations for him, I was just like, yeah, no, he's going to have like seven, 800 yards. And then like the second year wide receiver bump that was like, you see that a lot. You see a lot of wide receivers really take off in the second year. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, like, you know, he'd be a 1,000 yards by his second year, and then, like, it's just, like, he's probably going to pass Corey Davis, who's a very good football player at the mm-hmm. way, at the rate he was going by, like, week nine. He's going to be, like, the focal point of this offense, and I just want to tell everyone this now. Um, if you see anyone tweeting that Elijah Moore will be the Debo of this offense, just never pay attention to any more of their tweets because Debo Samuel's air yards per target last year was like 1.7. If Michael Fleur is only giving Elijah Moore screens, I got some questions for him. Yeah. I don't want that gase, those gase play calls on like third and eight where they're throwing a screen pass behind the line of scrimmage. I don't think that that's what the offense is going to be ran like. So I'm not too worried. I like what I saw in the first preseason game so far. (laughs) And honestly, I mean, think long-term about how good this receiver core could really be if these, you know, these rolls of the dice that we talk about, but if they come to fruition, if Denzel Mims ends up being, you know, a decent to good uh, number two receiver and Corey Davis kind of keeps on the path that we think he's on and Elijah Moore is everything we think he is. I mean, this could be a really good receiver, not a good receiving core, not only for, you know, this year and next year, but for years to come, which, which is pretty exciting coming from, you know, what we came from in the last Mm -hmm. decade. Yeah, I think I think because I'm assuming we're going to transition to Zach very soon. I think the most exciting thing about the Jets' future and then this receiving core and even with the young linemen is this is probably on his rookie contract going to be the worst team on paper, mm-hmm. then also the worst versions of the players we expect to get better. This is going to be yeah. the that's going to be like probably the worst it's going to be in these four years for his rookie contract. Which when you look at Sam's first year, like people in 2018, it's just so different, and you can really really see like having the Jets having a roster as talented as Cleveland by the time we're in Zach's year four, like they are with Baker's year four. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's a very good point. A I very totally good point. agree. Yeah. We don't have to worry about Trenton Cannon or Elijah McGuire being the running backs. He's handing the ball to, or De- Deontay Burnett. I remember that Chicago game, all the receivers that we were rolling out there. It was Rashard Matthews, Jets legend. <laughs> yeah. Terrell Pryor was, uh, yeah was a starter Rock for them. wasn't bad on this team. I have to be honest. He really wasn't. And we, never got, we, we never yeah. got a clear answer on why he was caught, like, you know, yeah. week six. That I, Colts I game, he was good. Yeah, he had that was, wild catch against Denver. He, like, caught it on his helmet. Like, yeah, I was, was, I was at that Denver game, and he was awesome. That game was sick because Robbie had, like, a really deep touchdown. That was a fun mm-hmm. game. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Meeks, that's a great point, and I haven't really thought about that, but it's so true because – they're like assuming Zach takes the necessary steps that we need him to do. And he's showing growth and showing signs of being a franchise quarterback. I'm not saying he's going to be like, you know, a top 10 quarterback next year, kind of like with those Herbert expectations, but the roster is only going to go up. I, I believe in the system that they're trying to build offensively and defensively. I believe in Joe Douglas as a drafter. I know 2020 hasn't looked great, 
but there are players that have come out of that class. 2021's looking more promising, but obviously we got to see the results on the field. I mean, you're assuming that there's at least four starters, if not five, you know, if Hamza becomes a starter, which it seems mm-hmm. like he's going to be just based on the, the indications you've gotten from camp. And, you know, he was yeah. getting a lot of action in the preseason game looking really good. So I'm super excited about that. Um, you know, being that we've only had one preseason game, we haven't had a show. I know me, you were hopping on the show. It will talking about preseason. We should definitely talk about Zach. I think, you know, it was the first time we saw him in a real NFL game. I know it was preseason. I know it was giants backups, but very encouraging, you know, obviously want to pump the brakes because there was nothing groundbreaking, but the biggest thing that I could take away and I'm sure you guys agree and probably the people watching and listening agree is he just looked like he belonged. And that is so important. There's so many times in the history of this franchise since I've been a fan where we've had rookie quarterbacks, we've had young quarterbacks because it could be like Sanchez, it could be Gino, it could be Sam, like when they weren't rookies, you just look like they were flustered during the headlights. Everything was chaotic. Every single snap that Zach took in that game, even the one when he literally almost got crushed because Dan Feeney didn't know how to block. He always looked calm, cool, collected, and he just looked like he was ready to go. And to me, that's the most encouraging thing. Obviously, you want to see wins. You want to see him like putting up 300-yard passing games, three touchdowns, whatever, not turning the ball over his key, but that's going to happen with a rookie. So I'm curious, Stephen, what are your overall thoughts of what you saw from Zach in the preseason and, you know, like what's something that you're looking to see from him, I guess, in the Green Bay game on Saturday? Yeah, I, I, honestly, the biggest takeaway, really, I thought Zach looked great. I thought, you know, you're, you made a great point about he just looked like he belonged. He didn't look out of place. It, mm-hmm. it didn't look like the moment was too big for him. Yeah. Kind of a, from a broader scale, I really just I loved what Mike LaFleur did for him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, immediately establishing the run game, getting him on the move, didn't do anything crazy. Nothing was was outlandish, didn't have to make any of those wow throws. Just, you know, methodic, uh, deliberate, everything that he did, mm-hmm. he, he got him on the move for, you know, the first pass, got him on the move out to the right, hit Corey Davis, like stuff like that. That's just stuff that we haven't seen in more than two years. You yeah. know what I mean? So you're setting up your rookie quarterback for success. We've heard it, heard it, heard it. I think they're going to use the run game to set up the passing game. And I think especially early on in the season, but we saw it uh, immediately on Saturday night. And I think it was just encouraging. So um, it looked like Zach belonged. He looked good. The ball popped out of his hand. Steven, yes. what you said earlier too, about when the defender came into his face and he stepped right up, he didn't shy away from it and delivered a, um, a pass to, I think Tyler Croft, who almost ended up getting the first down. That's mm-hmm. another thing too. Threw past the sticks. God, I love to see that. Right? <laughs> oh, down oh, I said this to Joe. Past the sticks. It was literally like, seen that in years. You know, a lost it's, art. A lost it's art amazing. That's offense. And and again, we have to we have to keep in mind it's the first preseason game with the Giants. Yeah. Backups. yeah, all that stuff. But it is really it was really encouraging. So I just want to see more of the same from that. I'd yeah. like to see maybe them throw a deep ball or two against the Packers. You know, just kind of show off the arm a little bit for Zach. But other than that, man, if I keep seeing what I saw on Saturday night, I'm going to be fine until uh, until week one. If he throws like an 80 yard touchdown against the Packers, I think Jets sweater might break. I'm just saying yeah. I'm going to get ahead of this now. So Meeks, I know you were a Justin Fields guy. I was too. I mean, I was like, I was like 2A, 2B with them, but definitely leaned heavier towards Fields. I liked, I liked Fields during his time at Ohio State. I know you had to convert yourself. It took some time. You know, you were like, I really wanted Fields, but you know, I like Zach too. And it was tough for you. So what, what were your thoughts? I know, I know that you will run, you're like running through a wall for Zach now, but I'm just curious, what were your thoughts? And how would you compare him to Fields? Because I know you definitely were watching Fields pretty closely on Saturday as well. Um, yeah, I would say actually out of my f- other uh, the four people on draft season, I like Zach the most. 
Yes, um, getting over that. getting over the not Justin Fields pick was a lot tougher for my uh, co-host, but like just for perspective, uh, yeah. in that draft class, I had Justin Fields, the third overall player, behind Kyle Pitts and Trevor Lawrence. I had Zach five. Like I thought, I thought all three of those quarterbacks were better than Joe Burrow. I really did, and mm-hmm. I thought Zach was awesome. I had some questions about him, the durability, because just. It's something that, that wasn't a hype thing. It's just like he looked like he weighed 195 pounds and he already had torn labrum. So I had some questions about that. And it was one year. But I think Zach, the physical talent, you can see, like, you watch his pro day. You know, like, they, we haven't had a Jets quarterback throw like that since Joe Namath. Like, it's, mm. it's really just <laughs> really just that obvious. But yeah. getting back to that game, really, it's like I love Zach's energy. Like, just when he hit that throw to Keelan Cole and then he daps up Morgan Momus. That was Morgan awesome. Moses, and he's it. like, thank you for keeping me clean. And then said, let's go. Like his confidence, like people are always going to do like the cocky stuff, you know, coward already compares him to Manziel, even though I don't He's think not though. I don't even think he drinks. Like I really, like he was chugging water at the Islander game. Like I, you could not pick a worse person to compare Johnny Manziel to, but um, yeah. In that regard, the coolest thing that I thought Zach did was when you watch Zach at BYU, like there was a lot of chunk plays. There was a lot of home run stuff. There was a lot of just going for it. And his performance on Saturday like, he just ran Mike LaFleur's offense. Like, it was very controlled, very lax. And you just didn't see a lot of that at BYU. And it's kind of like – he was kind of like the boxer who has, like, the crazy knockout punch. And then once he hits it, like, it's over. And he can keep doing that whenever he wants. But, like, on Saturday, it was like a guy who just, like, he won a fight with his jab, basically. And he didn't even need mm-hmm. that. And now the fact that he's got – all he still has both these tools in the tool shed that he can – run the offense and then when stuff breaks down which is going to happen with this offensive line and just happens in the nfl and he's got to make a play you have game after game on tape of him being able to do that so i think that showed it was a really mature performance is how i would put it and like justin fields i think was more of the splashy one like you saw the wide open touchdown it was a good play call you saw the run you see the athleticism he's still so accurate like that was my yeah. biggest thing with him it's just like like I love Dak Prescott. I'm like, this is Dak Prescott. He ran four four. Like that's who I just looked at him as. Yeah, no, but I, I think agree. this this is gonna be a really talented rookie class. And like I like that Fields and Lance from the NFC. So like we've played them once every four years. Like you don't have to root against them. You're never gonna see them. Mm-hmm. And then I can just let Urban Meyer, Ryan Griggs in, Trevor Lawrence, and then I can put all my hate into Mac Jones and we're and we're cooking. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. I think. I think something I'm super excited about, hoping that maybe LaFleur cooks this up, but he may save this for the regular season. I want to see like an RPO. I want to see them do like a design run for Zach because he's obviously not super fast, but I had to say when he was running sprints at practice, I was impressed. I thought he had a lot more speed than I initially thought. He's much quicker than you think. He is. Yeah, Yeah, because also because he's deceptively fast because he's white also. That's something you're going to (laughs) learn. But he's like him at like – because Ryan Tannehill is the same way because Tannehill played receiver in college. Like he's Mm -hmm. very quick. I don't think Zach's that far behind him. Like if Zach ran the 40 and he ran four six, I'd be like, yeah, that checks out. Like yeah. he can, and he makes guys miss. He's not just like, yeah. he's never going to run anyone over. But yeah, I'm hoping that they at least unleash one of those. And if they don't do it in the preseason, definitely do it against the Panthers defense in week one. Yeah, and I think, I think, so, I think something that we can finally put to bed because it's been a topic of conversation basically since Zach entered his name into the draft was how tall is Zach Wilson? Well, I think after seeing that picture of him and Aaron Rodgers on the sideline, just talking and chopping it up, I saw some funny memes, you know, what, when is it okay to uh, ditch your mother, which I thought was actually hilarious, but Zach is definitely six, two. It's either he's six, two or Aaron Rodgers five eleven because they're the same height. You can look Mm -hmm. at the picture, their eyes lock and their heads lock. So I'm glad that everyone's saying, Oh, Zach's too small. 
If that if he's too small, then so is Aaron Rodgers. But Aaron Rodgers has what two MVPs or no three MVPs yeah. and a Super Bowl ring. I think it'll be just fine. I'm just I'm glad that we can finally stop saying Zach's too small. He's not. Johnny Manziel wasn't even six feet tall. Like he barely was six feet. If anything, Zach is definitely six two. I'm glad that this is over with. Agree. Well said, Stephen. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, I'm super excited for the Packer game. I'm hoping that, you know, there's definitely more playing time for the first team offense. There's something I was curious from you guys. Like, do you think that we're going to see, you know, a quarter and a half? Do you think it's possible we see the whole first half? Or do you think that's more for the Eagles game? So, Migs, how long do you think that the starters are actually going to play this week? So, um, if I remember correctly, um, like, Zach got two series. And then, like, there was some, like, you saw, like, Carl Lawson got one. Um, Corey Davis got one. I think everyone's just going to play one more series. I think, I think Zach will get three bites of the cherry. I think he'll get the first team, first team offense out there with him for like two series. And then like, you'll see more Cole, hopefully maybe Mims gets a run with Zach. You want to see, maybe they get a series together and start building some of that chemistry. Cause I thought Steven made a really good point before about how Elijah Moore's injury has really helped the, uh, Corey Davis, Zach Wilson relationship. And those two yes. look really in sync. So hopefully you want to see that with Cole. You want to see that with Crowder. You want to see it with Mims because you want Zach to spray the ball around just because mm -hmm. that's a big thing for rookies when they start locking on to one or two targets. It's become a little predictable, but I do think that's really what you're going to see. I don't think we'll see Quinnen or Vera Tucker. Um, frankly, Quinnen does not have to play in the preseason for mm -hmm. me. I don't need yeah, to see him. Yeah, he's fine. Vera Tucker, give him one series against the Eagles. Let him and Becton do one stretch run for 15 yards and just wrap him in caution tape until uh, – the end of the thing but that's what i think we'll see and i think we'll get a first half for zach against the eagles which i think is a smart thing like the funniest thing of all time and why i'm actually happy we don't have matt rules our head coach with sam darnold and daniel jones not getting reps i'm just like ah these guys are not good enough to not play in preseason so i'm yeah. happy that sal is taking the approach he is well the thing is with jones is that like most of their stars in play it seemed like for darnold it was really just him and probably mccaffrey because yeah, yeah i think i don't think dj Moore played either but like still yeah, yeah. what do you think steven how long do you think we see the starters on on saturday yeah i think uh maybe an additional series for the for the green bay game and then i would hope to see like a like a half out of the start especially for zach uh come the eagles game in in game three um i really i think sal already came out and said you know it's probably like two or three series for the starters on uh it, coming up this weekend but um they do they have a ton of young guys i mean they have not only do they have a young core they just have an overabundance of just uh, of really young guys i, I want to say the number was like 30 guys that are getting like their first preseason reps or something like that which is it's just insane to think about so they do have a lot of guys to rotate i'm glad I think they do take a cautious approach with, approach with injuries, but I do kind of like to see them roll the dice a little bit here. Let the guys get the playing time because that is super important, especially for this young group. So uh, ultimately, I think, you know, we'll probably see uh, Zach Wilson and, and the starters for another series uh, maybe coming up this Saturday, and then hopefully we see him for a half on, uh, on that yeah. final preseason game. That's the hope. I, I agree. So before we wrap it up on the preseason game stuff, I just got to say, Seeing your coach running up and down the bleachers in, in the stands is a lot better than seeing your coach doing spelling salts. I just wanted to throw it out there. I'm so excited for Sal. I love this guy. Yeah. The coolest <laughs> that, thing about that for me was like, this was something he did in San Francisco before every game. And I love how comfortable he is in his own skin where he will just continue to do that. And he doesn't take much. Well, I'm a head coach now. I can't do what I did when I was a defensive coordinator or I have to be this kind of person. And he's just so himself. Like that's what I loved about Robert Sala. Like just the person, just everything you read. Mm -hmm. He's just so genuine. And I thought a really cool moment in the game 
was when Mims had his big play and how mm-hmm. he was there to congratulate him. There's that picture of them like talking and Robert Sala is not going to be the guy when Zach Wilson, the offense is on the field is going to be scribbling in his playbook, like which creeper pressure to run for third down next series. He's going to be that teacher. He has Albright and LaFleur to do the schematics, to call the plays. He'll have his hand in the defense from Monday to Saturday, but on Sunday, he just wants to be like the guy he's going to teach the guy he's going to lead. And I'm just, that's such a refreshing approach. It really yeah. is. Steven. Yeah, I, I think um, that's the biggest takeaway from this weekend is just how good it was to see a, a first of all, not Gase out there leading this team and on the sidelines, but second of all, it being Robert Sala, who I think 99.9% of Jets fans are, are just all unanimously agreed upon. Like it, we just know that he's the right guy and the guy to lead this team. He's clearly a leader of men. Everything, everything he mm-hmm. says just turns to gold. And then when you throw a stepbrothers reference in, when, when talking about leading your team, you're just, you're, you're a made man in my book. It's all, it's all good. So that was it from there. I loved him before. I love him even more after. So yeah, that's the biggest thing. I think it shows part, just part of his character, part of, uh, of what he believes. And uh, it was just, it was really good to see him on the sidelines and not Adam Gase. Agreed. Agreed. So I have a fun one. It's, it's a little bit different than the questions we've been talking about and topics we've been talking about so far tonight. Um, so I'll give you guys a second to pull it up. But basically what I want to do is, you know, the Jets' expectations aren't super high. So, you know, we don't know like how many wins they'll do. I know they'll over under six. I personally think seven is actually very realistic. But if they're going to get to the seven or even maybe eight or even nine, they got to steal some. So I'm curious what you guys think is one game throughout this season that they're probably not expected to win that you think that they could steal and kind of make the case for it. I'll start. So you guys have some time to look at the schedule. because I think you guys need to look hope, for a second. I hope you don't, I hope you don't steal mine, Steven. Steven's <laughs> definitely going to take mine and I know, I know exactly. All right. Well, I'm going to go and hopefully not steers and you could still, you can add on to my point. So I'm going to say the saints game. Is that it? It wasn't it for me. Yeah, well, it was thought, always I thought either. about it. All right, perfect. I thought about it. Okay, <laughs> All right, I'll say why. So I know the Saints have a more of like the historical factor for them, but I'm so in on their under this year. It's nine games. I just think trusting your team with Jameis Winston is a problem. I mean, I know he has all the talent in the world. It's, he was number one pick. I get all that. But there's a reason that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just won a Super Bowl with a 44-year-old Tom Brady. And he had that same roster and he turns the ball over. He's basically like, like a rich man, Sam Darnold. If you think about it, he has talent. He can make plays, but he throws a lot of interceptions. So to me, like if he's the guy that we're facing, I can see this defensive line just wrecking havoc on him. I know Sean Payton obviously is a great coach. He's been around a long time. He's definitely going to tailor this offense to him. Or if for some reason, Taysom Hill's the quarterback, because there is a little bit of a competition there, but I think James is going to end up winning because he's more traditional, you know, where Taysom's more of like that mobile quarterback, more of like a Lamar Jackson type offense. I just think that this is a game that the Jets can absolutely steal and people are probably going to pick them. I'm also just down on the Saints. I think right now, like if the Saints were under 500 and like a top 10 draft pick, I would not be the least bit surprised. I really think that a lot of like their run with that team that they had with Breeze is definitely runs course. It seems like Michael Thomas is going to miss half the season. He's probably we don't know if he's going to be in the game and they may trade him. There's a lot of rumors and smoke that he might be traded. So who are they throwing the ball to? Cause really Alvin Kamara is the only guy that offense. Uh, was it Antonio Callaway, Marcus Callaway? I don't know. Oh yeah. Exactly. Exact. Adam yeah. Troutman. I know he's like the fantasy, like tight yeah. end that you should be picking. Peyton, Peyton they have no on. receivers. Who are the, oh, Traquan Smith. I'm sorry. He's, yeah. he's the immortal guy. So that's just my opinion. I'll let you guys, you know, make no, your case for the other teams. Me, that's a good point. And it's, and it's at MetLife. 
that's, yeah. that's and, and, met life in, not that long ago and it's yeah. in december it's in december and uh you know saints typically don't travel well and they don't see, play outside well especially see, in this cold. this would have been perfect if breeze was still playing because we had yeah. the banana arm in the 20 degrees and we could have <laughs> had and then yeah that would have been out of yeah. you're so anti anti breeze <laughs> uh he's fine he's fine but uh no i'm actually picking a game that i actually just found out i was going to and that's the titans game because right. i think uh, there was like the two Bills games in the Bucks. I was just like, yeah, no, there isn't a prayer. I, I couldn't even think of it. But the Titans, everyone's like, AJ Brown, Julio Jones, Derrick Henry, like they are probably going to score 40 points. They might let up 50. Their defense is so bad. Terrible. Everyone's like, it can't be worse than last year. I'm like, it can. Because they lost the Dory. Bud Dupree is coming off an ACL. Who and this is like I think this game is week five or week four I forget exactly yeah. which one it is. It's early in the season. They lost Arthur Smith, who was completely awesome. changed that offense. And we'll see what Tannehill's like without him. And I just think that this is a defense that the Jets can really run on. They can really control the clock. And if they can get a lead and they can get rid of that play action that Tennessee does, I think they could nick a win in a shootout. Yeah, and you know what the thing is with the Jets. Their biggest strength is how you could stop the Titans. They have a good defensive line that can probably stop the run. I know Derrick Henry is a man among boys and makes everyone look silly and just runs all over everybody, but there are his weeks when he is held in check. I know he usually goes off, but he has like one or two down games a season, so it's not impossible. Stephen, what do you think? So um, I actually didn't have either of your two, so I get to go with my, my number Let's one go. choice. Um, I think this is honestly the year the Jets get off the schneid and finally beat Philadelphia. So I think it's the the week before uh, the Saints game. I think it's December 5th at MetLife and Philadelphia. The Jets have never beaten the Eagles ever. So I'm just amongst the Jets fan base, I think we're going to be underdogs. So I'll go ahead and I'll say that one. I am not a believer in Nick Sirianni. I am not a believer in Jalen Hurts. I think at that point in the year, the Jets will be figuring themselves out more on the rise than they probably are and will be earlier in the year. And I think it's going to be a perfect time for the Jets to finally do it in beat that last team they've never beaten in the NFL. And that's going to be the Eagles. And I think the Jets are going to do it. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good one. This is how dumb I am is I automatically pencil that in as a win, forgetting that we've never beat that franchise <laughs> in our history. And I was like, nah, and now we're just going to be brick. Cause like the Jets are probably going to be like six and five or whatever. They, I think they're playing like week 13, like six and mm-hmm. five, like, Oh, could the Jets play a meaningful game in December? And then like, Oh great. The Eagles or three and three and nine, but they're going to be frisky because they've never exactly. lost to us. And we're just like, yeah, oh, yes, I can just picture it now. Yeah. No, Don't I mean, worry. I'm Have sim- confidence, Meigs. I got this. I'm similar to me because I kind of was penciled that one as W because I also just don't think the Eagles are anything this year. I think that they're yeah. going to finish in fourth place in the NFC East, but like by a significant margin. I think the other three teams are definitely yeah. better. They also, I just think I've Adam Gase 2.0. There's just so much of, of Adam yeah. Gase that I just see with Nick Sirianni. I don't dis- necessarily dislike Jalen, but I need to see more. Like I was mm-hmm. impressed, had the athleticism, he had a decent arm, but you know, they took him out of that game in with the last week of the season, which was a little weird. And like, it was good experience for him. I think that they're really keening in on hoping that Deshaun Watson does become available when everything is like dropped and they make a move. Schefter keeps saying that he's like, they're the team to watch for an actual Watson trade. So there, there's a reason to have questioned someone's faith in their own quarterback. If they are this linked to someone with 22 uh, sexual assault allegations, mm-hmm. this is that very really, true. that really shows the confidence you have and what you have in house. <laughs> yeah, no, another, I, another very good point by me. Yeah. Meigs is just throwing, dropping nuggets <laughs> on us like crazy. I love it. I love it. 
Thanks, Peaks. Um, so yeah, before we wrap up, guys, just a couple of housekeeping things. So first of all, make sure that you obviously subscribe to our podcast feed and this YouTube channel. Obviously, our show is on the podcast feed. So is Will's show and Meeg's show. Draft season will be back in October. So Meeg's, real quick, any anything special that's happening for draft season this year that maybe wasn't part of last year or years past? And real quick, just give us three guys that you are, we should keep our eyes on that we might like for next year's draft. Um, so in regards to draft season, I can't, we're currently working now on our consensus top 32 big board, which will have the scouting reports uh, when we're finishing up this week. So that should be out either next week or right before the first week of college football. So please make sure to check those out. It's a very interesting draft class. It's a lot better when you don't have when you don't need a quarterback because this quarterback class is not as strong as last year's. And I have some serious, serious questions and you guys will really like this. Um, it is very deep at corner. It's very deep at edge and yes. the interior offensive line. So works out very well for the jets. Um, I'll give you guys one of each of those guys. So there's an interesting guy who I really like, who a couple of the guys that Joe and Dalvin and James are a little like me, like pump the brakes is a guy named Adam Anderson at Georgia, who is six, six. He's like only 230 pounds. But like, if you watch his Ojolari last year, you're like, you see in the corner of your eye, you're like, who's that really skinny guy who is just, is even more explosive. And it's a little Brian Burnsy who I All love. Right. And Brian Burns is awesome. just an absolute phenom. And, He's like the next edge rusher that you're going to see, I think, this year. I think him and Quinn are the two guys who really blow up from that draft class. And then people remember how good Nick Bosa is because he's still really good. Yeah. But uh, I would go – I would keep an eye on him. You'll see him play Clemson. I believe that's week one, so you'll see. There's a test right there. That's going to be a primetime game. You'll see a lot of players can really boost their draft stock in primetime. Uh, another guy I like is Kyer Elam, who is a Florida cornerback. Who Derek Stingley is like the talk of the town. Like he was had the he wears the twenty four. All the Jets fans are like Baby Rivas, Baby Rivas, Baby Rivas, and he was awesome as a freshman. And it's kind of gone under the radar that Kyer Elam has done really, really well. I think he mm-hmm. is like PFF grades. He is like two grades over eighty eight uh, for his freshman and sophomore year, and he's kind of getting slept on. Also, Devonta Smith destroyed him in the SEC championship game, which happens Mm -hmm. but he's a really he's a really physical corner joe douglas has a love affair with the university of florida as we all know so always keep an eye out for that and and i'll go for interior offensive line there was a guy there's a center from iowa offensive line you tyler limbaum who is just a rock solid prospect and he's probably gonna be a guy who goes in the first round or he might slip because centers it's kind of weird but he's definitely gotta look out for but Mm -hmm. what the jets need is a lot of strengths in this class so you guys should keep excited for that and it's gonna be a fun college football year so make sure don't forget that there's football on saturdays (laughs) i try to socialize on saturdays and then do my show on sundays i i i I socialize for 12 months for the three months of the summer that's kind of my lifestyle at the moment there you go nice um but yeah like i said draft season's awesome stuff for great guys who really love the draft and will give you as much information about guys that make sense for the jets coming into the 2022 draft and in addition to obviously subscribing to the feeds make sure you follow meeks on twitter at meeks 214 on twitter great guy and um, if you guys follow us on twitter you definitely know about our promotion that we're doing so we're looking to you know hit our 1500 subscribers on youtube so if we hit that before week one, anyone who both follows Steven and I on Twitter and is subscribed to the YouTube channel and DMs us the confirmation of this stuff, you will be eligible to win either a Zach Wilson jersey in the color of your choice 
or a copy of Madden 22. So don't forget to do that. Appreciate everyone that has DM me their submissions. I'm keeping track. Don't worry. And we'll definitely be doing a drawing in the first week of September. So stay tuned for that. And last but certainly not least, make sure that you guys check out Badlands. Zach Wilson docuseries was awesome last week. Joe and Connor had a great episode just talking about the first preseason game. And Connor took a nice little jab at the Giants and Joe Judge about his approach. And I thought that was really funny. And there wasn't a paywall. I think people would be going into Connor's mentions on Giants Twitter. So gave me a nice laugh. And I was talking to Joe about it. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Really appreciate everybody. And we have John Destrempsey of The Ringer, 